You are listening to Two Rare Mama Bears, a Cure CMD podcast where we discuss all things congenital muscular dystrophy and rare disease. I am Maddie Manley, a Pacific Northwest mom to an adorable son with CMD. And I am Megan Meyer, a Midwest mom to a sweet daughter with CMD. Together, we are Two Rare Mama Bears. We hope to share with you challenges, struggles, triumphs, and accolades in the congenital muscular dystrophy and rare disease community while learning and growing along the way. Tonight, we have Lindsay Eubanks from Mississippi. We met the lovely Miss Lindsay at Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill. We were at a film screening of My Turn, and Lindsay raised her hand and stood up and asked the panel uh, after the film screening about how she could get the word out about spinal muscular atrophy type two and the story of her son, Lucas Moore, how she could get that story out more. And Maddie and I went, oh, 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 we can help you with that. Uh, And then over the course of the next few days, uh, we saw Lindsay throughout the events that we were doing and got to form a friendship with Lindsay, heard a little bit more about Lucas, and then have since uh, watched Lucas and Lindsay on his uh, Facebook page called Becoming Bionic. So find them on Facebook because I know you will want to after you listen to this podcast, Becoming Bionic. And it's been a pleasure. So we thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about what it was like to be a newly diagnosed family. They've only had their diagnosis about a year and explore what that's like. We know there are many families in both the congenital muscular dystrophy community and the spinal muscular atrophy community um, that have walked in these shoes. And Lindsay describes it well, uh, and we're going to go down that road with her tonight. So welcome, Lindsay. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm fabulous. I just had some really good soul food down the road, so I'm ready to talk now. Great, great. So tell us um, a little bit about Lucas at the very beginning. When he was born. So I was actually on bed rest for four months, thinking the whole time that something was going to be wrong with him. And he was um, born... 39 weeks in a day, he managed to last that long and came out a muscular, meaty, um, screaming little boy. Mm-hmm. He was so beautiful and so chunky. And we immediately thought of him as like the boss baby and to look exactly like him. So that is like the inside running joke in the family. But he, um, he was a picture of health when he came out and um, his little personality developed and was very <laughs> distracting. Like he almost had comic timing when he was just a few months old. So we sort of clung to his little personality and we were distracted by that. And I think around, uh, probably around the six month mark, I was looking to get his first photos done. And I talked to a photographer down the road and she said, oh, you know, that's the perfect age he's going to be sitting up. So you won't have to use a boppy. He should be able to sit up on his own. Um, and so I kind of like had that in the back of my head and I was sitting with my mom in New Orleans and I'm like, mom, you know, he's just not developing the way that I thought he would. He seems a little slower physically than he does um, compared to his peers. And that was the first time I ever said anything out loud. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Foresight's 50-50. And when it came down to it, 
by that seven month mark, um, I went to go pick him up at daycare and I noticed his little hands were shaking. He had a bit of a tremor about him. Um, so that was another incident that was just a little odd. And I decided, you know, I was like, you know what? I've got a good Nikon. I'm going to take his pictures myself. I'm not going to schedule with the photographer. And so when I went to go take pictures of him, he was just a rag doll. Like he kept flopping over and he was just all over the place. I kept trying to, to sit him up and prop him up and just noticed that he couldn't quite do it. And that still wasn't enough for me. And um, by the nine month checkup, he was still doing the same thing. And I was like, no, gotta, gotta say something. The tricky part about this is that I'm a working mom. So full-time working parent, having to use daycare. Who do you rely on more than anybody else other than those daycare workers? I mean, and right. they sleep the most in the first year. So they're sleeping at one. There are all these little things here and there, not a concentrated series of events that, you know, like the, the big neon sign wasn't there, okay? And I think a lot of people are waiting for the big neon sign. When it's not there. The newsflash, the big neon sign. Probably yeah. is not coming. Yeah, newsflash, it's not there. The oxymoron of all of it, right? So it took me swallowing my pride and actually saying something to the pediatrician. And when he went to go just sit him gently on the table, Lucas almost fell off. Like the nurse was lucky to catch him. And that's when he said, when did you notice this? And I said, well, he's been kind of wobbly for about three months or so, you know, it wasn't just full blown at that point. He said, right, not taking any chances. He had a knee jerk reaction. Thank goodness. He referred us to uh, Batson Children's Hospital, which is the huge children's hospital here in Jackson. We went to a neurologist and an endocrinologist first. Um, and so that was to rule out any sort of hormonal disorder that was, um, you know, possibly affecting his thyroid. And then also, he was obviously hypotonic. He said, you know, there are kids who are kind of loose jointed and they go to physical therapy and they come out of it and they're fine. But in my 25 years of practice, I've never seen anything like this. The popular doctor, this guy is, he's the bee's knees around Jackson. So if he hadn't seen anything, that sort of set the stage for all of the unknown. What was it like to hear that? Oh, um, nauseating. I had uh, had a lot of questions, not a lot of answers. In the pit of my stomach, I was like, well, how am I going to do this and keep my job? Because I know this is going to lead to a, like way more doctor's appointments. How am I going to do this and um, maintain my family? Because any free time I had, I was digging through medical journals. I was on the internet. I didn't resort to support groups until someone just happened to suggest it. Mm -hmm. And when they did, that was the single best suggestion that anybody could have made to me. Because what you have is a concentrated network of parents. If someone, for some reason, uh, has a question they can't get to their doctor, on the SMA support page, which is where I ended up sort of last, for 9,000 members, if I ask one question, that thread erupts. And I know in three and a half hours that I'm going to have just a battery of data 
that's what I need. When any parent of any kind of rare disease diagnosis, I, I was getting on global developmental delay sites. I was getting on muscular dystrophy. I was getting, I mean, I was ruling it out before they could, if I could. Mm-hmm. And it was at the point, um, you know, at the first neurologist appointment, I was like, you know, I had a cousin with SNA type two and I'm working with Lucas and he's still sort of loose, but he seems like he's getting stronger. That's the elusive part about not having it present at birth. If there were a way to test for this sort of thing, then you would know for a fact that the child had it, we need to do something about it, if there is even treatment available. We were, you know, told that we were going to have to do an EMG. We were told we were going to have to do an MRI. All of these things are completely unnecessary, totally unnecessary to diagnosing SMA. So by the time the 11-month mark hit, my patience was gone. I crawled all the medical journals. I'm like, you know what? here's the deal. I've got to call the neurologist. This is the second one that we're, you know, in cycles through. And I talked to the nurse and I'm like, look, I don't want to see you like this whiny, troubled parent that's blowing up your phone. But I just got a call from the physical therapist telling me that daycare told her he's not rolling anymore. I see my child 90 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. We'll see their child 90 minutes a day. So what are they going to do when they're awake? Well, you might be doing chores. You might be spending time playing with them. They might be sitting down while they're doing that. You're not forcing them to do things that are supposed to come naturally. Mm-hmm. So after blowing up the phone um, and saying, what's the deal? I mentioned that I had a cousin for, who had SMA type 2 at my first appointment. Why was I not sent to genetics? There's an operational issue here. Right. From the period of, you know, being at that first neurologist to ruling out all these other disorders, we just sort of skipped over this disease that's present in my family. Granted, it is a rare one. It takes two parents with the same exact mutated gene to have it, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the odds that I marry the man that I do and have this beautiful child who has this 25% chance of getting this disease actually gets the disease. And before I even uh, had the chance to go to genetics, I told the second neurologist after the EMG, she's like, look, the nerve impulses are low. It looks like SNA type two, but we're not going to confirm anything until we have, you know, genetics you know, in hand. I'm like, you know what, you know, what's really interesting about this is I went to a fundraiser six years ago where it was for Cure SMA, or it was called Stop SMA. It was held by an SMA family. I just so happened to convince my boss to give money to this. And before they ever even started the fundraiser, which was this comedy show, they talked about the drug pipeline for SMA, where this money is going, why this research is so important, why it's so crucial. And I'm sitting there in the audience, and they're telling us about this one drug that's like, Oh, you know, not only does it halt the progression of the disease, it will literally give back certain skills that are lost. And I sat there like completely, complete disbelief, did not believe an ounce of it. And just kind of shook my head and was 
I don't know. That to me was just like a pipe dream. I, I hate that I thought like that, but I did. I'm like, we're not that far in science yet. There's no way. Well, here I am having this conversation about how it looks like it might be SMA2 with the second neurologist. And she said, but you know, there's one good thing about this. It does have treatment now. And that was the moment where, you know, I'm riding back in the car with my husband who had never seen him get shots. So he to get poked with needles. He was absolutely wrecked. He's like, that's the worst thing I ever saw. That was absolutely horrible. And I said, yeah, but you know, that doctor told us there was treatment for this. And she said, there's this medicine. And I was like, I went, I heard about this. I went to a fundraiser six years ago and I heard about this. And my boss was sitting next to me and a friend was sitting next to me. And I remember that drug because it was at the top of the pipe and it was phase two clinical trials of what is now known as Spinraza. So when the neurologist told me that, I'm like, all right, I printed out the Spinraza authorization form. I didn't even know what Lucas had at this point. Mm -hmm. I called family. I told them, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's SNA type two. He's got all the hallmarks, the hand tremors, the tongue facilitations. He's loose. He's hypotonic. He's not bearing weight on his legs. All right. I'm, I just took it upon myself to print out the authorization form. And the day that I was handed um, the blood test results for, you know, the genetics, I, I just put a form first. And um, y'all took five months and I know I'm right. Not wasting time. <laughs> not wasting time. And the big victory was he had SMA and there was treatment. So the grieving part, which usually comes at diagnosis, happened to me during the diagnosis. Right. By the time that I got the results, I was like, oh, thank God, there's something that we can actually do about this. We can do something. We're not guaranteed anything other than stopping the progression, but we can do something. And not everybody has that luxury. Right. We saw a, a neuromuscular physician probably a good year before we got diagnosis. And at that point she said, yes, this is something. Yes, this is muscular dystrophy. It's just going to take me time to figure out what it is. And that's when my grieving process started and probably went for like six months. Mm -hmm. by, by the time we actually got her genetic confirmation, that was no big deal. Because yeah. I'd, already, I'd already mourned what, yeah. what typical was going to be and what new normal had started to be. Right. And you go through all of your, uh, like the processes, I guess, in your head of like, okay, how's he going to the bathroom? How's he going to wash his hands after he goes to the bathroom? How's he, like, that's how my brain thinks. I had all of these questions about function, mm -hmm. functionality. Well, there are plenty of people in the world who do it. Okay. So that's when you just need to start talking to those people. You can find them, go find them in the most concentrated place ever. Um, just make sure that that when you do, I think having a sensitivity, a universal sensitivity, even though you're going through it, doesn't mean that you have like this license to just say whatever you want. Be candid and find people you can be candid with. But also know that there are moms and dads out there that are still very sensitive, even in, um, you know, well years into the process, uh, I think a lot of people were scared to offend me in the beginning about certain things. I'm like, no, it's okay. Like, 
this is this is just life. There's, the only tragedy is other people's responses to it. It's not, you know, it's it's not the end of the world. It's the beginning of this new life. And I asked my aunt, who was the caretaker of my cousin, who had SMA, you know, like when did you stop? When did you stop hurting? And she's like, well, you always have a degree of that. It's not like don't expect that to ever go away. It's going to be there. When you have all this energy, you need to do something with it. Don't let it fester and make you angry and misplace blame and misplace that anger on other people. Find a way to to put that to use. You know, like do something good for someone else if that's helping other parent. Um, and so I thought about that that dark unknown portion of you know like all the questions that I had and. I called the hospital. I'm like, y'all, if you get another SMA parent, just send them to me. Like, you're not violating. You're not making a HIPAA violation. Send them to me. If they give you permission, like, just just come over this way. I'll help you out. <laughs> Go have coffee. I leave business cards at all Matthew's doctor's appointments now yeah. for people that come in with, I'm like, muscular dystrophy, rare disease, you name it. If you have new, newly diagnosed parents, you can give them all my information you want. I know you can't give me theirs, but share this so that people can find somebody. I will be a mom yeah. support group. Here you go. Right? Yep. All right. So you talked a little bit about Spinraza. Have you guys been able to tap into that since you put in all the information and the paperwork? Yes. So the hospital knew that I was adamant about getting things rolling. Our patient care coordinator at Batson had everything submitted and approved uh, by Blue Cross the next day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Awesome. Yeah, it was a little crazy, but I got, I had to get a color coded spreadsheet. Let me tell you, I got real documentation. Like if Lindsay wants to make a point, she's going to have a pie chart course in Excel spreadsheet. And I did that for the hospital to walk them through how it could have lessened in time. Did you mama bear that one? I stole mama bear. I mama beared all over it. Atta girl. And I did. And I'm not ashamed. And I felt so much better after I submitted it because it felt like that this is how you're going to listen. Unfortunately, I worked for a personal injury attorney. He is the one <laughs> he is the one that had me learn how to document everything. And I had to see cases when I started first at the firm. I, what I ultimately did was like marketing, but you know, I learned a lot from being around those kinds of cases and how extending treatment can actually work to the disadvantage of the institution that provides it. So mm -hmm. I got legal. I got mama bear legal with them. And I'm like, look, this is how we could have made it better. And when I approached it that way and I didn't say, I'm coming after the doctors or this is what you should have done. You know, what I did was I just made a black and white for them. If you're used to seeing things that way, I had to figure out how to speak their language. And so um, once I presented that, uh, the day that we got the genetic test results um, was, hey, you're going to get Spinraza. We started treatment. Once we had the loading doses, Lucas is sitting again. We lost the ability to sit and the ability to roll. And so 
after, I think it was after the third loading dose, uh, he started to move his feet a little bit. Like we were watching TV one night and he was starting to move his little toes. And my husband said, oh, did you feel that? And we're talking dead, dead in the legs. There was no movement. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden it was just very subtle. It would sneak in. Um, and then I took him to the park one day and this was after the fourth loading dose was administered. It was between four and five. For people who don't know anything about Spinraza, they do concentrated doses of the treatment in the very beginning. Um, you'll have one once every couple of weeks and then come the fourth shot between the third and the fourth, there's a month wait. Um, you'll go in and you'll be administered. And then after that, it's once every four months for the rest of your life. Um, that's until gene therapy comes along. So we are crossing our fingers and hoping the sweet baby Jesus that that is coming soon. And it, it sounds like it is, um, according to the folks uh, up in Washington and then also the, the drug companies who are out there. They're saying it's slated for approval in May. Wow. Awesome. Um, yeah. And that's for the worst form of the disease. And then uh, type twos will be a couple of years from now. But like, it's here. Like, Thank you, modern medicine. It's here. It's working. He started rolling again. I actually um, put Lucas on the ground. <laughs> I put him on the ground just for a minute. It was nighttime. I had to run to the bathroom. This is when I didn't know he could do anything. I went to the bathroom. It was dark. When I came back, my child was gone. Where he went. It's like, where's my baby? This is the best blessing I didn't know I had right now. <laughs> I think I stole my baby and I'm looking around the room and I'm like, where, where is he? And then I heard this laughter come from under the couch. <laughs> of course. He managed to clear the entire living room. Oh, I love it. Yeah. He managed to clear the entire living room. He was under the couch, thought it was hilarious. And that, <laughs> oh, okay. So... Now we're going to have to baby proof some things. We are now. <laughs> around. Um, so we got a new couch. He can't get under the couch. It's <laughs> not why we got the new couch, but. Um, Good reason. There. He, he got a, uh, something called a Bella's Bumba. I don't know if you guys in your community are familiar with that. There's a nonprofit in New York that recycles Bumbo seats and puts a tray underneath and wheels on the side. So they're so cool uh we got one of those and uh, he has proceeded to get into every roll of toilet paper <laughs> ever had thank you to the medicine because he is all over the place now and his little bumbo seat his rolling bumbo seat and um we noticed his personality actually started to come out even more so I thought that was an interesting phenomenon you know I didn't expect the two necessarily to correlate but he kind of came out even more um, once he was able to get in his little wheelchair and he's two now and uh, we are between let's see we've done five shots I think we're on number six we just had number six I'm starting to lose count but he, he's showing promise with the drug. He had a pretty early response to it. So that's a blessing that not everybody um, gets to have. That's just our situation. I have to be very careful about, you know, I don't want to give people, you know, the impression that that happens with everyone because any kind of drug treatment is a gamble, but 
we were very fortunate and saw a lot of promise as many other people have seen in doing it. So tips and tricks wise, um, for the beginning, you said when you were realizing that there might be something going on with Lucas, that you one of your fears was how were you going to be a full-time working parent and juggle oh. the needs of your child? <laughs> so you're still a working parent. Uh, yeah. What tips and tricks for other newly diagnosed parents? How have you been able to juggle in the last year? Mm. Crazy year that you've had. Have you, do you have any tips and tricks that you've come up with thus far? So for people who are out there who are not near family, not the only ones, uh, my family is three hours away, two and a half, three hours away, uh, give or take. Um, we don't have anybody close that is um, here to help. And I think the, the first thing you have to do is to find out if your state has Tefra or Katie Beckett Medicaid. That's the first big nope. Yes. Megan Nobody, tells Nobody tells you that. Megan Nobody tells you. Tells Megan you. tells you in your support group when you're like, "Hundred <laughs> people paying for all these doctors' appointments," and she's like, "Hold on." By the way, you qualify for Medicaid. Go find it. Yeah. After yes. two yeah. years of not having it. Oh, pain. So yeah, that the dollar signs are just flying all over the place. I'm hearing drugs, $125,000 file. I'm hearing hospital visits for $600,000. I'm hearing I'm going to have to miss work. And at the job that I had at the time, this is the crazy part. I had no PTO. This boss did not offer any part-time off. You would qualify for FMLA, your family medical leave time, but that's unpaid. You're not getting anything for that. Um, so right upon diagnosis, I'm like, all right, it's time to look for something else because I'm going to be missing a little bit. All right. So that's step number one. Step number two is I got to get this Tefra, got to find out. And so that was another thing with this Benraza form. I already had it filled out because I knew there was a, a mom who came to me, just like the clouds parted, angels were singing arias. She comes down and she's like, you need to find out about this Medicaid. <laughs> Is find out about this. And you got to fill it out. Yeah. Painting the picture as blatantly as you can paint it. Without a diagnosis at the time, which was. Yep. I didn't have a diagnosis uh, either. Got to have a diagnosis, but you can still say something's really wrong with your kid. Yeah. You, I painted it like with all paint by numbers that were to paint by number with. Right. 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 Without a diagnosis. Yeah. Without a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, convince these people to pay these astron astronomical bills. Um, and so. The Medicaid was a big thing. Once we got that paperwork submitted, there's like a 90-day turnaround. Some states, you blink your eyes and you have it. Ours, you wait a couple of months because there is a process and, you know, they have to confirm everything with doctors. The doctors have to get back to them and it's just exhausting back and forth. Um, the next thing to look for, and if you're in a rural area, I'm going to go ahead and apologize for this tip. But the best thing that I've found, which is more common in cities, are um, prescribed pediatric extended care. What's that? Prescribed pediatric extended care. So this is a daycare facility that's basically run by and housed by nurses who provide 24, well, not 24 seven care, um, but round the clock care during the day for working parents. So I had to switch my job, so change the job, got something closer to home, 
the blessing that um, we got was that we got the TEFRA. Once we got the Medicaid benefits, um, pediatric extended care picked that up. I was no longer paying for daycare. All right, so that is a giant chunk of money right here. If you don't have to pay for it, don't pay for it. Absolutely don't. Find yourself a Facebook support group for a local and then also a worldwide, if you can. They may not have one, and if they don't have one worldwide, look for a national one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I found for SMA, the worldwide one is the best. Because people in, you know, Cyprus will respond to something faster than someone in uh, Washington or Iowa. You know, so it just depends on, you know, who's up and not working or working. But Well, if you're up in the middle of the night and sleeping. you can't sleep and you want an answer, there's somebody on the other side of the world that might be able to give you an answer. And, and what's funny is they actually do. And I think that um, there's actually a parent or several parents that administer the page. So it's done by an organization, which I found sort of shocking, but I'm like, you know, I wish doctors would get all these things and just read the responses from patients and parents, because even though it's informal, it's excellent information. Genetic counselor for our research group that is on our page. And yeah. Only every once in a while she'll chime in. Matthew's OT is on there. Oh, cool. She just likes to watch and listen and see. Basically, she just absorbs as much as she can. Yeah. Ooh, uh, to babysitters. That's a tricky one. If you can find nurses who will babysit for you. Respite. Weight and gold. Get yes. respite. Respite. You can do that as well. Sometimes with your benefits, you yeah. can do that. It will pay for that. And then start, start looking into daily functional things like, okay, if you do need a bathroom modification, see what it's going to take. Lowe's, word on the street is, and I don't know if this is true or not, I really have to look into this, word on the street is that Lowe's will provide a free bathroom modification if you have proof of medical necessity. I don't know how true that is, but I was like, what? I'm getting off that. That's <laughs> that that big. <laughs> a couple communities were, after this podcast airs, might get frequent hits on the Lowe's website. <laughs> Google search Lowe's modification, bathroom, disability. There was uh, a man who was blind who called my job. I'm, I'm in property management and he was trying to find if we had any accessible apartments. And we got in this conversation. I'm like, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm in the process right now of like researching my options. And um, yeah, don't be afraid to uh, fundraise. Don't be afraid put that out there there's I you know I had so much shame in the beginning there's no reason to be ashamed there's no reason to be ashamed especially when our resources are slim and right. there's a video of me showing my frustration with the department of rehab here because I've got put on a waiting list a three-year waiting list for a vehicle modification and when I called back the lady had no idea who I was after talking to her for like an hour and then the waiting list grew to five years. So it's like, welcome to the world of special needs. You're a resource. You just, that's the part that can be self-oppression. That's the part that can be, uh, that just stops you in your tracks. But just keep going. That If there's any advice, I have just keep moving. 
and keep looking for information. Be hungry for information. And as long as you're hungry for it, then you're, you're doing the right thing. Even if you don't have the answer, keep looking. You'll, you're going to bump into it eventually. One thing that you said before we hit the record button, though, is while you're hungry for information, keep in mind that the internet can be... <laughs> yes. The best and the worst place. Yeah. Go, careful when you go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Just take, take all of your uh, selective hearing with you. And just know that not everything that you're going to hear is something that you can't take with a grain of salt. You can and consider it, but don't don't thrive on that all of the time. It, it can be it can be a very elusive, very uh, misguided sort of process trying to find the right information. So the more people I think that you talk to um, in the land of support um, can can be useful. And don't get too discouraged, especially if you see something that that seems like it wouldn't work in favor of your child. You know, get as many opinions and facts and medical journals if you can. And if you don't understand them, find a friend. That's what I did. Because there was something I was really confused about. And you're like, just can you give me a second opinion on this? Because I want to make sure that I'm not misreading anything. Lucas is so lucky to have you and uh, the SMA community around him. I think listening to you, well, I don't think, I know listening to you in the, these last 40 minutes has been a little dose of, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> I don't Mama know either. Love. Mama Bear love for the soul. Yes. Since you said you started off with soul food, you just fed our yeah. soul too. Mm. With all this yummy goodness. There you go. Dropping the knowledge. You're just refreshing. I hope that other parents, especially the newly diagnosed parents that will listen to this, got the dose of um, hope that you you just gave. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that gives you a lot of hope too is advocacy. The only person out there that can be the best advocate for your child is you. So absolutely. that. Yeah. Rock, that is, rock that all day long. Go to Washington, D.C. Tell your legislators, hey, we need to catch this disease in the beginning. That way, the children who have, you know, the chance to get the drug now upon birth, or some of them are running around like nothing ever happened to them. It's the crazy thing. If you can't get to Washington, D.C., go to your state capitol and make change. If you can't get to your, straight. If you can't go to your state capitol, go to your town. If you can't or call. Your, if you can't go to your town, get on social media. Get on your phone, call your offices, email your offices. There are so many ways of communication to be able to get your word out to your legislators. Absolutely. Us three mama bears that just got back from Capitol Hill were all like, <laughs> It feels like Braveheart, like we're going in for attack. Right? Very much so. Well, Lindsay, this has been great. You, from every little drop of my soul, I appreciate your um, time tonight getting on with us and sharing your story and Lucas's story about um, becoming bionic. Thank you so much. Best wishes to you and your kiddos. Thanks for joining us and listening to Two Rare Mama Bears, a Cure CMD podcast, where these two mama bears will leave no stone unturned 
Because failure is not an option. This podcast is nothing without you, our listeners. We welcome your feedback and topic suggestions. Please interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you will find us, Two Rare Mama Bears. Please subscribe to our podcast to receive notifications of new episodes and give us a rating or review. We would like to thank the talented individuals who keep us on task and make this podcast sound great, Luke Manley and Justin Meyer, respectively. The views expressed in this recording do not represent the opinion of Cure CMD or your podcast provider. Medical research, legal, or financial opinions or advice expressed in this podcast should not be substituted or interpreted as professional advice. Please consult your healthcare provider or other appropriate professional regarding any health-related or other concerns.